Hello, Consumed listeners. Welcome to the 19th season of the podcast about eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers across California, and especially at its heart, the Central Coast. For this season, I'm chatting with food and beverage legends, people who have made a significant impact on their industries and the palates of generations to come. I think you're going to love it. But before we begin, I want to tell you about some of the Consumed Podcast sponsors. Consumed is sponsored by Mid-State Containers, Cargo Storage Containers, and Refrigerated Shipping Containers for sale and rent in California. You may not understand how Mid-State Containers could change your life, but the truth is many, many guests on the Consumed podcast use Mid-State for their projects. Containers can serve as wine storage units for case goods for private collections and even tasting rooms. They can be refrigerated storage containers for breweries, kegs, and fruit during harvest for wineries. Mid-State Containers outfits coolers and freezers for ranchers, farmers market growers, orchards, and butchers. Containers can make great pop-up coffee bars and berry containers for root sellers. My guest from Season 10, Krista Flieger, from Lonely Palm Ranch, uses her Mid-State Container for an office on her property. Other ideas include schoolrooms, music and photography studios, and there are other things that can be grown, stored, and processed in a Mid-State Container, so use your imagination and get on their website to request a quote, midstatecontainers.com. We all know eating fruits and veggies is an important part of staying healthy. Fresh, local produce has the most flavor and nutrition, but how do you know what's in season locally? Become part of the Tally community as a member of the Tally Farms Box Program. Tally grows their produce and partners with other California farmers to include the freshest and best-tasting local produce you can find anywhere. Farming on the Central Coast since 1948, the Tally family created the Tally Farms Box to make healthy eating easy and affordable. Here's how it works. Select which size box you want, then choose pickup or home delivery and how often you want to get your box. It's flexible for customization and vacation holds, and included in all boxes are tested recipes and storage recommendations. Come be a part of Tally's healthy lifestyle. Visit tallyfarmsbox.com and use promo code CONSUMED for $10 off your first box. That's promo code CONSUMED for $10 off. Eat fresh, eat local, and eat lots of California fruits and veggies for better health. Okay, on to the episode. If you've lived on California's Central Coast for any length of time, you're aware of the name Catano Brothers. Since 1947, this family-owned brand has produced artisan jerky as well as other snacks and sausages, and their handiwork can be found nearly everywhere you look in San Luis Obispo County. CEO Caitlin Caney joined me on the podcast to talk about the history of Catano Brothers, its humble beginnings in the basement below present-day restaurant Luna Red, how her parents took the company nationwide, and, well, how the jerky's made. Here's my conversation with Caitlin Caney of Catano Brothers. I have a lot of questions <laughs> because I've been eating Catano Brothers like everybody else here since God knows when. Yeah. I was probably sucking on one of these when I was a newborn. Okay. Are you from here then? I feel like yeah. I know you, Yeah, I, but I was like trying to put it together. I'm like, how do I know her? So, well, we could have, I mean, everybody's orbit crosses yeah, at some sure. point. Yeah. Um, look at Mark. Okay. About you. So... Yeah, so this, I mean, and you know, you you hang out in the grocery line at like Scolari's back in oh, the yes. day, and yes. this is 
right there facing you. So you guys say it's so it's since 1947. Tell me about the beginnings of that. And this is your family, right? Sure. Well, it's it was the Catania family were the original okay. um, founders um, and creators of it. Um, and they started it in 1947 in downtown San Luis Obispo. Hmm. Truly downtown in the in the basement of where now Luna Red is. So it's kind of Mission what? Grill, Luna Red. Um, There's a basement there. There was a basement there, and I think that's where they do store a lot of storage. But at, in 1947, it was a meat market. So in the basement is where they would, um, in like their off hours, uh, they would um, make their mix their own spices and make their own jerky and sausage, and they would give it away to their friends and. They just kind of knew that they were onto something. And so that's how it all started. And it was two brothers. Okay, Bill I was going to ask. Yeah. I thought it was, well, obviously, I'm like, I thought it was brothers. It was that, yeah, yeah, it's in yeah. the name. Two okay. brothers, uh, Bill and Pino Catania were the original um, brothers that started it. And then they had their boys that took over after that. And there was three of them. So it was two brothers and then a cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, well, I guess they were both cousins. So it was two two sons and then one son from the other um original brother. So, uh, they are the ones that took over. I'm not sure at what point they actually took over, uh, the company. Um, I'm not sure we actually have data on that stuff, yeah. but they were the ones that were running it and moved it over to the facility that we're at today on mm. Claudel street yes. in 1970. Oh, so it's been there all that time. They've been there since then. Yeah. Okay. On Claudel. And it's grown a little bit. They've expanded a little bit into the back. Um, mm. at one point, but other than that, we really just kind of, Worked from what we've always had there, you know, and updated little things here and there. But um, it's really still very old fashioned because that's yeah. the crafting of it. It, it. That's the way the jerky is made. And we've tried to stay as true to that as we can being under the USDA umbrella of yeah. government control. Which is so. huge with something like this. I'm sure there are so many little boxes to check and things to cross off to be able to make it safely and sell it. Yeah, there is. And it's interesting because a lot of people do not know that. Because when you look at restaurants, it's a different kind of um, govern as far as food safety and stuff like that. But we have an inspector in our plant daily monitoring and um, looking at everything from whether it be the recipes or our processes or time and temps and logging and everything. So Daily as in somebody from the government, not from your own company. And you're not self-auditing. You have somebody from outside. Yes. You keep them employed. Just by having that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Wow. Yeah. They they um monitor or they move between a couple plants here sure. in the county. Yeah. But um we are one of the main ones that they go to. So Wow. And what are yeah. they looking for specifically? Well, food safety is a big part of it. And mm-hmm. and we value that. I mean, that's something that's yeah. very important to us whether we're being inspected or not, because it keeps us true to our quality of what we're providing mm-hmm. and then just safety for our customers. Um, and there's a lot of things with meat that can go wrong. So yeah. you're looking a lot at logging and um, documentation. So mm-hmm. they're checking a lot of the, the time and temps of when we're putting things in the oven and when we're taking out, when we're turning it, all that kind of stuff, water activity in um, our jerky. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of things that are just being documented and logged mm-hmm. um, that they're watching. But they're looking at the floors and they're doing, uh, you know, bacteria testing, the sinks and is our staff wearing, you know, what they're supposed to. So there's all these 
protocols and systems that we have in place in our HACCP, it's called HACCP plan, mm-hmm. and they're monitoring that and holding us accountable to that. So, And then the government's creating new regulations mm-hmm. daily or monthly, whether it be labeling and packaging that comes mm-hmm. through that we have to stay up to date with. Um, so there's all sorts of stuff that happens behind the scenes with just oh, that. I believe it. I believe it. I have so many questions still. So <laughs> so sugar-free, you guys make a very big deal about that. What was the impulse behind saying sugar-free on these? Well, you know, I actually grew up with it never being on the package. It never said sugar-free. But it, it was, was sugar-free. But it was always sugar-free. Which is um, kind of rare for jerky, right? It is, yeah. For yeah. for a couple of reasons. Is it, it, it's a pres- it can be a preservative. Mm-hmm. It can increase the shelf life on a product. Mm -hmm. It also increases the yield. So when you're making jerky and you're adding a bunch of sugar, you're getting a higher yield. So you're actually making more jerky in the end. Mm -hmm. So a lot of companies do that to yield more profits. Um, So that's why you're seeing these sugar, very, you know, sugars in jerky. It also can mask the flavor of the meat. So if a company uses you know, lower quality meat. Yeah. Well, it also, it's so interesting. I wonder which came first the using the sugar for yield and preservative, all the things you're talking about and, or the taste, Americans taste for jerky. It seems like the expectation is that it would be very sweet because all these years people have been doing that more and more. And something I really like about yours is you do still get a wonderful, excellent flavor, but you don't really, I don't miss the sugar personally. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think of it, the way I think about it is that when we are cooking steak, I would say that the majority of people, at least the people that I'm serpenting out, yeah, 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 yeah. are cooking, especially because of our San Maria style influence, yep. right? You've got Suzy Q and Jocko's and all the great um, steakhouses mm-hmm. and old, com- old families that have barbecued for so long. There's no sugars usually no. in their mixture. Sometimes mm-hmm. maybe a family recipe might have a little bit, but most people are marinating a steak with salt and pepper and garlic and very big, you know, maybe some rosemary or some other little Mm -hmm. hints of stuff, but they're not adding the sugar. No. So you would tend to think that a steak is going to have that flavor profile. Mm -hmm. So jerky would be the same way, but then a lot of things too, I mean, it's changed over the years, right? But the older generations are used to that traditional cowboy style jerky. That's Mm -hmm. how the cowboys made it. They, like you know, this. they hunted they, or they killed their cattle, you know, yeah. and then they, they harvested it and then they hung it mm-hmm. over their saddlebags to dry and maybe had salt or pepper. Who knows mm-hmm. if they even had salt mm-hmm. and pepper, you know, I'm sure certain times they didn't. And so jerky, the old style, real traditional style of jerky doesn't have all the seasoning on it. You're just getting that dried taste of of beef to it. So now, so now I'm wondering about the history of jerky. I mean, it makes me wonder if those cowboys were, I mean, I know a good bit about Santa Maria style barbecue and, and how that came to be through the Vaqueros Mm -hmm. and, um, cowboys, but I never thought about jerky as part of that story. Why would they choose to dry some things as opposed to, I know the answer to this, by the way, I, why would they choose to dry it as opposed to, you know, serve it the way that we're used to on that low and slow, you know, the up and down the grill. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's just the, the Cowboys and then the old 
um, South African style of jerky, mm. um, which is biltong. Mm. Um, I believe I'm right on all that. Wow. Yeah. Um, but the biltong jerky, it was, it was that way. It was just strips of meat hung outside mm-hmm. to dry because that's all they had. So that's where the real traditions of jerky have come from. And that mm. that's how our you know founders did it, where it's just the low and slow drying, just like it would be outside. They so. And it was also, I mean, what I was thinking is like, you're slaughtering an entire animal. You're probably not going to eat that whole animal right, right then. Yeah. So one way to preserve what you've got, I suppose, sure. is to make jerky. Yeah. It's such a weird product if you think about it. Dried meat. Yeah. And it's so delicious. It's such a strange product that we've all grown to, we've all become so accustomed to it and love it so much. It's so popular. Um, But I guess if you think about anything, cheese is weird, right? Chocolate's weird. Yeah. (laughs) All these different foods that have been processed in such a way to be preserved. Right. Um, and we've just grown so accustomed to it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's neat, so it's a little bit different, but I mean, dried fruits is something sure. I'm sure that they've been doing for a long time. And it's kind of just that same thing of preserving it before it goes bad. Right. Yep. Like you said. Um, and then maybe just also using the, I don't want to say the lower level, but the, mm-hmm. the cuts that aren't so easy to use or really yeah. in jerky, you don't want all that marbling. So whereas mm-hmm. when you want to, you have a steak, you want that marbling, right? So yeah. we use cuts that have less marbling in leaner. them that are leaner um, to be able to make the jerky. Cause mm-hmm. otherwise it just all, you know, it, it, when you're drying it, it just um, goes away. So the lower level thing, I, I don't, think there's anything wrong with saying that honestly it's using it's the nose to tail yes concept and that's what this is this is um food that started as necessity like so many things um and we like to use the whole animal right Mm -hmm. so that's pretty cool actually this is a delicious way to do that yeah i think it's awesome i mean we are all about minimal waste um, and using the scraps to um to you know, put back into our uh, beef uh, beef sticks or back into our yeah. Swiss sausage where we can, because honoring the the animal is definitely something that is important to us. Yeah. So where yeah. do you source from? So we have a couple of different places that we source from. Um, we have been um, sourcing from a, a packer in Fresno for a long time. Mm-hmm. It was um, actually a Cal Poly grad that my dad knew. And that's Mm. where he started doing a lot of his um, buying from. And then when I took over and started to really dive into more, okay, where is this meat truly coming from? Mm -hmm. What's, how is it handled? How is it fed? All the things. Cause that was something truly, really important to me after going through everything I witnessed with my parents with their health and, Mm. and just being at Cal Poly and, and learning about the animals more too, as well. I wanted to create a stronger relationships with the rancher Mm -hmm. and not just the packer. I wanted to know, okay, where is this, you know, where's this cattle being raised at? What are they feeding on? What's ground zero? Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. And how is our buying of these animals supporting these ranchers too, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's, I, supporting them is supporting to me all, you know, the very root of where it starts. And it's very important rather than the big, the big money, the big companies. And there's been many times that we've had companies approach us to buy meat from Argentina or buy Mm -hmm. meat from Venezuela. And first of all, it never tastes the same Mm. and you can't mask Mm. the flavor with our, with our, um, process. But, um, 
but I'm not supporting local. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's or, so abundant. Or, you and know, people are so yeah. in need. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's just the true Western, uh, you know, industry that I love and want that cycle to continue. So that's kind of, um, so then we started working. I, I just got, got to know like uh, girls that maybe had worked from us. So mm-hmm. one of the families mm-hmm. that we've bought from for a long time up in Napa, their daughter, um, which Cal Poly, she worked mm-hmm. for us. And so I got to know them. And so then we created a re- relationship with her family. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another Cal Poly grad, got to know them, Sunfed Ranches, which is up in Northern California. That's where we get all of our grass fed line beef from. Cool. So yeah, a lot it's of connections through relationships. Through yes. Well, and Cal yeah. Poly, I mean, the... Um, animal science and, and all of the ag over there, I think we take it so for granted. Um, it is really remarkable. Yes. You, you have a hand in how it, the brand looks and feels for sure. When did you start taking the reins with the marketing? Um, so my, my sister was actually kind of the driver behind a lot Mm. of this stuff. My older sister, she went to Cal Poly. She worked for, um, big marketing firm up in marketing PR firm in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And she came back to work alongside my dad and mom and really helped them ch- start changing a lot of things mm-hmm. from the old. So she kind of paved the way for me. And then she moved on to start a business with her um, husband. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I just kept kind of keeping what she had started going. And my mom had always done the catalog. That was always her yeah. thing since I was little that I can remember her doing. Yeah, And uh, so... Um, it's just something that I have kept going. I've, I've enjoyed it. I've loved it. And I saw a big need for us to rebrand. Re, little refresh. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so that was a really fun project that we got to do um, of all the packaging and the logo. Mm. And it was a long time of a process because we kind of were trying to fill it out and how do we want to yeah. do it? And how do you take an old company that's had a logo for so long, especially with the mascot with Pozo Pete that people were like, a lot of people were like, who is he? What is he doing? And then all of a sudden they, and then other people had no idea. And, uh, and then he's gone. So, um, but it's, yeah, the marketing side is fun and, um, it's effective. Of course. (laughs) Totally. I, um, I noticed things changing. Oh, it's hard to even say maybe 10 years ago, something like that. I started to see, a modernization, not modernization, but like a more, um, maybe cleaner, more up to date feel to it. And I figured that was when maybe another generation got involved and started saying, you know, if we don't, the product can stay the same, right? Cause it's amazing. The, the look and feel of it, we're going to have to kind of update. Right. So the fact that you say things like sugar-free on there, I don't know how long you've been doing that, but it's, it's notable because even in the catalog, you, you talk about, you know, lifestyle, which yes. is really critical, actually, when you think about the sustainability of a brand. Is, I mean, talking about lifestyle, healthy choices, all that kind of thing, that's become part and parcel of so many successful brands. Yeah. I mean, you've got to stay in for the long run, really. And so I think when we were evaluating things, it's it's just how do we share to the world and to our customers, old and new, who we are um, and what we do. And packaging is one of the biggest ways to do yeah. it. Yeah. And I mean, I I actually, it took me 10 years before of running running the business mm-hmm. of till I actually changed the packaging. Oh, really? Because I, 
I just, I was trying to learn and understand and I was young and I just really wanted to have a good grasp of, of it before we did. And I was also honoring the old too, right? You yeah. come in and you take over and it wasn't so much about changing and new just because that's what I wanted. It was yeah. how do we still honor the past and, but evolve, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think just my generation and my age and um, coming in also too with a different perspective of health um, mm-hmm. after watching my parents go through cancer and um, learning a lot about lifestyles and healthy snacking and all these things, that's where really the sugar-free on a mm-hmm. packaging came out to me because we were out there in the public and everybody was like, yours doesn't have sugar. Yeah, There's no sugar. So we actually prefer to say no sugar. Mm. However, another interesting thing that most people do not know is that the government regulates every single thing that is pretty much on your package. Yeah. So while we wanted to say no sugar, because there's simply no sugar, mm-hmm. we've never put sugar in it, we have to say sugar-free. Which sounds like candy at it seas or does. something. Yeah, yeah. I know. And But I, I, but it gets I it across. struggle with It that. tells us what it is. I exactly. Mean, yeah. And if you read the ingredients, which mm-hmm. we talk about how important it is to read the ingredients of everything you eat, you're going to see that it's simple ingredients and yeah. there's no sugar. So, yeah. Isn't that funny how different sugar-free and no sugar, I totally hear you on that. No sugar feels like um, just a fact and sugar-free feels a bit like, I don't know, a marketing point or something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, unfortunately, just in the world, we are sugar-free gum and sugar-free this or non-fat. So there's so many confusing, so so much confusing language Mm. in marketing. So you do have to be careful. Yeah. And you can't just believe everything that you read. Right. um, In maybe words, but Mm -hmm. if you read ingredients, those are your facts. Yes. Okay. So you've mentioned that your parents had cancer. Can you tell, are you open to telling me about sure, that? Sure. Yeah. Um, my mom was diagnosed with melanoma when I was my senior year of high school. So I was wow. just 17 and, um, she fought that, um, went into remission and, and, but unfortunately it recurred back in her brain in 2000, um, five is when it came back. Yeah. No, 2006. I'm sorry. 2006 is when it reoccurred in her brain. Um, she, and, and it's just one of the, you know, we, back then we didn't know much about cancer. Mm-hmm. I, we didn't know anybody else that had it, especially melanoma. Yeah. Um, you really didn't hear about it. And, uh, but that's really the start of when we started looking at everything and changing the way we did things and our lifestyle and what she ate and what she fed her body and all those mm-hmm. things. And so I th- think, you know, my family especially had a different perspective on how we eat and fuel our bodies and what we're mm-hmm. doing and all that. And then, um, so her cancer reoccurred in 2006, like I mentioned, and mm-hmm. she was fighting her battle still. Um, but my dad was diagnosed with leukemia oh, wow. in 2007, November of 2007. Oh. So, and then that next year they both passed away within, um, uh, five what? months. Of oh each my other. gosh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's an intense shoot. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's really intense for you and for everybody because it's, I mean, they're business people, they're locked yeah. into the community. Yeah, I mean, it was it was an absolute tragedy. I mean, for my family, my siblings, we really, you know, didn't grasp a lot of what was going on. I mean, mm-hmm. it was a lot of survival of going so through young. it. Yeah, yeah, we were all very young and you have a business. We had another business at that point too mm-hmm. and trying to keep them going and, um, and grieve and go through that and just, you know, be able to to, yeah, to keep going one foot in front of the other. But our parents were wonderful. The community has always been wonderful to us, the support we had, Mm -hmm. you know, so we were able to 
get through it the best we could with all that support. So. And you decided to keep going with Catania Brothers. Was that, I mean, you can tell me or not tell me, but was it ever kind of like a, can we keep doing this? I can, I can vividly remember sitting in our front room and just being like, I ha- we have to figure it out. Like yeah. we have to, I don't think we knew what we were going to do or how, but it was one day at a time. Mm-hmm. And I just think that the way, the way we were, we were raised was to not give up. Mm-hmm. And it, and that's how my parents fought their, f- their fight with cancer. Yeah. They did not give up. Mm-hmm. It wasn't their choice. Um, and we saw that and they were great examples of that. So when it came to that point, it was, it, we just couldn't, we couldn't quit. We had to find a way to make it work. And, um, and we just took it day by day and, and yeah. did it. So I'm glad you did. Okay. So tell me a little bit about the process of making jerky. It's so interesting to me what you're saying about, you know, kind of comparing it to Santa Marie style barbecue, but there's this whole added layer of process. Also what you said about, um, you know, being monitored and, and, um, food safety and all that. So walk me through. So you've bought something, you've Mm -hmm. bought some meat and what happens from there? Yeah. So there is a lot of steps to the process. Um, we, uh, we start with the top round. So for our jerky, we've always used a whole muscle top round. Mm. Um, it's the leanest cut and it's just what's worked for our form, um, to, for our ovens and our size of strips Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And so we take the top round and then we press it into the right size that we need. And then we slice it to get to the right thickness Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, length that we want. So all that is hand sliced either by knife still or on a slicer. Hobart slicer. So a lot of it's done by hand still? Much of it. Yes. My goodness. Okay. And so from there, then it gets, um, tumbled, um, which is the marin is part of the marination process tumbled with, um, the apple cider vinegar mm-hmm. or the red vine vinegar, whichever the marinade is, and then the seasonings. And then from there it goes into big stainless steel condolas and it'll sit for either a day or two or three, depending on what jerky it is, what thickness it is, whatever that process is. Mm. And then once it has marinated, it comes out and in the mornings, every morning you'll find our team stringing. So all the strips of jerky then now get put on, to a table and they're hand strung individually onto stainless steel rods. Mm. Um, from that point, then they get spread out on the rod and then put into the ovens Mm -hmm. to cook for whatever process it is too. Everything is, um, each process depends on the flavor and the thickness because that will determine how long it it needs to be in marination or in the ovens. And those are based on old recipes that you're constantly they're all very different yes so um the old recipes and one thing that people too you know we've we've seen it and you get the feedback and people say oh you've changed your recipe or Mm. it's not the same and the truth is is that we would change nothing if we didn't have to but Mm. again we're usda inspected so they'll come in and they say now this process that you do is no longer an option Mm. you have to meet this time and temp now Mm -hmm. um because of a maybe a plant some of their plant had in you know an outbreak or something so then Mm -hmm. it impacts everybody in the industry and they have to change so again Mm. there's so much regulation about Um, how that meat is hitting temps and, Mm. and obviously that's to cure, you know, kill any type of bacteria, but they don't take into consideration small batch companies like ours. So it's been very, very hard to maintain our consistency and the quality that we've always had. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
and meet their standards too. For things that probably so. feel somewhat arbitrary. Yes, very much. I'm so. thinking about the greens, uh, businesses that sell salad greens mm-hmm. and how, um, you know, there's an E. coli breakout in, um, spinach and now all of a sudden for, I mean, insult to injury, nobody's buying spinach now because they're terrified. But second of all, the regulations get hopped up even higher. Um, and that I think like you're saying is probably really good for massive operations that don't have great on the ground quality control, but for somebody small, I mean, that's something that could be the difference between surviving and not surviving. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you don't see a lot of small plants like Mm -mm. ours making it. And that's another thing people also don't realize too, is that a lot of jerky is made in mass production plants. Mm -hmm. And then it is private labeled for that company. Yeah. So you do not see a lot of companies like ours that are making their own jerky or possibly another brand too as well. Um, because it is hard. It's very challenging to keep up with those regulations and change and adapt and add new equipment that they want and do all those things. Yeah. Were you saying that the plant, I mean, the, the white building over on Caudill, that's mm-hmm. where everything happens? That's where everything comes Get in. Yeah, The meat comes in, and then from that point on, we start the process of slicing. And all the ovens all are in there and all everything? The oven, yep. Does it smell great all the time? It, it does, yeah. It does. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever get yeah. tired of it? Um, I never get tired of it, but sometimes I just don't smell it anymore. Oh, and that's funny. always cracks me up because if customers will come in the counter and they're like, oh, it smells so good. And I'm like, I can't anything anymore so funny so but yeah it does usually smell really good especially on sausage days that's my favorite totally totally you must make the joke how the sausage is made all the time do you make that joke a lot of how it's stuffed in the casings yeah you know that old phrase like when you see something that is like well you maybe would rather not see it's the joke about oh that's how the sausage is made if i worked at Catania, i would say that yeah yeah i mean i actually it's an interesting process because of the way it is ground and stuff it is but um ours is a different like coarseness so it doesn't look so fine like you would Mm. think like I don't know. I wouldn't like some of those chorizos and stuff are so ground and they're mushy. Yes. So I yeah, feel like that would soft. be, but yes, yeah. it is. It's like a slimier, you know, mushier process yeah. than, um, than the jerky, which is pretty long strips of meat. I so. love Swiss sausage though. Um, tell me a little about how that gets made. The Swiss? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So the Swiss um, is a combination of pork and beef that mm-hmm. we um, mix into um, together. And so the the um, meat gets ground um, up and depending on uh, what our course, you know, or what our grind is, Mm -hmm. is our specs. And um, then from there it goes into the mixer and then the mixer mixes all the spices with it. It's Mm. pretty cool to see that big mixer move. And um, I always imagine that's kind of what the bakeries look like when they're, you know, mixing things. It's pretty cool. And then from there, the real art happens when those guys are taking those big 250 pound gondolas and it's being lifted on the lift into our um, stuffer. Mm-hmm. And then they're standing there with the casings, stuffing the links of sausage and twisting and by hand. Isn't so it is, it's hard. I mean, oh sure, I've seen it. I've tried it. It definitely takes timing and just an art to watch. And you have to watch the weight and all that. Stuff. Yeah. It's a wow. pretty cool process. Anything that makes that people do by hand like that. I mean, it is a lot like a bakery actually where yes. you're rolling out or, you know, sheeting for croissants or whatever. It's a very similar, um, yeah, it's an intensive it's an handmade art. Yeah, art. Yes, it is. for sure. Yeah. I feel like what Catania Brothers 
does, and any small jerky, um, you know, family-owned jerky business, is carry something from the past through to the present. There's a really strong sense of place with what you make and, um, and with, obviously, ranching community here. Um, how did the brand travel down? So from the, the brothers and the cousins who ran it, and, and made the everything in the basement of Luna Red, apparently, mm-hmm. which now yep. I'm thinking, I got to go down there. Right. How did that get to you? How did sure. that become you or your parents? Yeah, so my parents came up here to go to Cal Poly. Mm-hmm. And um, my dad was raised in a meat company. My grandpa had a big meat company down in Southern California. So he came here, his senior project was a um, food service business. Mm-hmm. Um, specializing in meat. That was kind of always what he was passionate mm-hmm. about. Um, a lot of steaks and yeah. that kind of food service side of things. And so um, he was actually knew the Catanio family through selling meat mm-hmm. from um, Caney Foods. And so then he bought Catanio from them when they had um, uh, offered it uh, to him. And so my parents bought it in the late 80s. Okay. And so my parents... Um, did that together up until the very, you know, days that they were, they were sick. So well, they were a team a of, doing it. That's so. a lot of growth from when they bought it. I mean, if I'm just thinking anecdotally about living here from the late eighties to 2007 mm-hmm. yep. is a huge arc of growth. Right. Do you know, um, do you have any, maybe not numbers, but do you have like, uh, can you give an idea of how much it grew? Um, I would, um, I think it, was it like teeny tiny and then it Yeah, I mean my they took it they took it nationwide. That was the okay, biggest that's difference. What I'm asking. Yeah. Yeah, okay. My dad was because of his experience with food service, you know, he got it into um, other to other food services food service companies and then that created expansion with the sausage especially. He um, had it into um, uh, uh, Disneyland at one time is oh where they gosh. sold our pork apple honey sausage. We had another large chain carrying the sausage as well. So he really had um, movement on that with growth. And then um, the jerky, I mean, my mom was the one that started the catalog and the growth yes. of the online sales and catalog sales mm-hmm. and the gift baskets. So she yes. created the whole gift basket line, brought in the fruits and nuts and candies, that whole side of the business too. So together they you know, kind of just took – what was where, I mean, we hear all the stories where people came in and they bought at the counter and that's yeah. where it predominantly was. And then I think it was in a lot of maybe some liquor stores and things like that. Yeah. But my parents from that point took it and expanded it more and more lines and more sausage. Mm-hmm. My dad included, um, more jerky lines too, yeah. as well, adding the turkey jerky and then the premium hand cut. And so yep. he just, you know, grew, grew what was already there, but to get it to more people yeah. and more items. And growing it at the same time. I mean, it sounds like your mom came along with the catalog idea when, a, you know, catalogs were were a big deal. They were, you know, mail order became yes. a way to get things. And so it was able to be nationally distributed, mm-hmm. which is exciting. And I, I didn't realize that your dad was in the meat industry. So he had channels and he had... Um, he just had understanding and, and information for how to grow the brand in yes. a natural sort of way. Yeah, that's why I think he he thought, you know, I think it was a per- good fit for him. I think he saw the opportunity with it and he already understood food service 
and distribution really well. That was really mm-hmm. his strength and production too. My dad, yeah. that's where he loved to be is in the production side of things. Mm-hmm. And then my mom lended in her skills on more of the gifting side and yeah. the marketing and all that. So they were a good team. And I always think too, for when you do, you look at how much they did in that time and, um, and they were raising four kids. Four I, kids. I always think like, that's really exceptional. Like they did mm-hmm. all that on their own, you know, yeah. running all that. It's hard. Where do you fall in that lineup of kids? Um, I'm number two. Okay. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You mentioned you have an older sister. I have an older sister, and younger brother, and then younger sister. Okay. So when you were growing up, you're watching your parents work with this, grow this beautiful brand. And did you have an interest in getting involved? I think it was always really cool, but at the same time, it was kind of like just the family business. Their thing. Or yeah. yeah, the thing. It was just, yeah, it was just the family business, what we did. Um, I saw my parents work really hard. I mean, I, know, I remember just my dad was working hard, and we spent a lot of time down there. Saturdays, I would spend with my dad working the calendar, mm-hmm. listening to him. And so I think there was moments where I was like, ugh, I'm so, I don't want to go down there. Yeah. But I also kind of loved it too, deep inside. Um, when I got into high school, I think I started to appreciate it a little bit more. It, it was interesting. I, people always say, you must have always had it in your house growing up and mm. ate, ate it all the time. And I was like, oh, actually, it was kind of a treat for us. Um, oh, cool. So we didn't have it all the time. But, you know, if we went down to the shop, we got to get it out of the bin, which was really cool. Or, mm. you know, you, I mean, my dad never said no when we were down there, but it was just something that they didn't. Maybe they just kept it more separate. I, I'm not sure. But um, it just always made it more special of a treat yeah. than having it all the time. And then I would say um, college is where, you know, being at Cal Poly and working there. And then I also worked at other lo- I worked at other places here in town too. Yeah. And I think it helped me appreciate more um, my dad and how he managed us when mm-hmm. I worked at other places and saw how they managed. But I also got really good ideas at other places too. Yeah. And I would want to tell my dad and mom. And, um, so I, in college, I really got more into like the marketing and sales side of things. Is and that what thought you that was interesting. I was, bus- I was ag business. Yeah. So, but, um, I actually really, I wanted to do all sorts of different things. Mm. I mean, that's the thing, but it really came down to business and sales and marketing were really where I love to do shows, events, all that kind of stuff yeah. it was really my passion. So are you still doing all that? Um, yeah. So that's really, the, that's I the part bet. that I've gotten to infuse into the company, which has been so fun because it is something I got to grow up doing with my dad. He loved doing the food shows and yes. we get to tag along and we thought it was the coolest thing. It to, is to, the, to walking around, tasting everything. So rad. Yes. Yeah. So good. It's just, so I it's went to fancy. I opened one time. Oh, that's and a fun one. You got to like starve yourself for you a do. week before you go. <laughs> you do. It's so much food and it's such a blast. Especially, I love new products. Yes. Like, how are these places pivoting and the kinds of things that new companies are coming up with? It's a blast. It's yes. really hard to get in, actually. I went in as press one time. Okay. And, um, it's hard to go as press. It's hard to get a pass. I but, bet. Yeah. yeah. It's a big show and tons of people and but it's so fun to, to go to. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we, we've done food shows. We got into doing athletic events, which has led us to getting the jerky into a lot of, um, professional and collegiate athletes. Um, and, uh, then we do the rodeo side of things, fueling all the rodeo athletes and just the Western industry and fairs and all that kind of stuff. So shows are really awesome because you get to, you get to be with the people mm-hmm. and you get to talk about it, you know, and that's really, that's something that I get to honor my parents. Like that's my yeah. dad loved to do that. And so I get to keep that part going and, 
I think visually all the packaging and the display and how I merchandise it is my mom. So I get to kind of keep their spirit there. It speaks that language. Yeah. 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 Tell me about the sports thing. What is that? So how did that begin? Yeah. Well, so that all started when I, back after I lost my parents, I started running marathons. Mm. I got really into health and um, diet and lifestyle and trying to understand like why. And just yeah, why re- it was so it was kind of a reaction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think I also just needed a place to heal and grieve and for find sure. a purpose. And the team and training that I did for um, running marathons it was for le- leukemia and lymphoma. So it yeah. really made me feel like I was doing something. And but what was so interesting about all that is it just led me to more knowledge about the company, and it led me down this path which I had no idea I was going to go to. But I started to get involved with CrossFit. Mm-hmm. And met some really good friends in that, which led me down even more path of food and learning all the different diets yeah. and lifestyles and how people eat and um, got really involved with that and saw this need for a really clean mm-hmm. product. And that's where my idea of the grass-fed jerky came from yep. because we were at the CrossFit sh- doing shows and they love jerky. They love yeah. snacking. And they were looking for a protein other than a shake right mm-hmm. after a workout. And I was like, well, ours is it. Yep. So we went and did those things and I had great support from people in CrossFit that were very supportive of me doing that. I mean, it's perfect in that way. Yeah. And so we got involved that way and that's where we started meeting, um, athletic directors who were really interested in the product and, um, got it into UCLA football. So they've, those athletes have had it for a long time. Um, we were with Utah jazz for a while, Arizona state, the chargers, um, we don't get to pick and choose. (laughs) No, I know. Um, (laughs) chargers are obviously doing well for themselves. Yeah. It's just cool to see these athletes. It's such a reaction in our house. (laughs) I know. I know. Um, so, but yeah, so that's, that's how the exciting. athletic side of it came. The, um, uh, the golf, um, LPGA, they oh buy gosh. it for certain things. And so we've had all different kinds of athletics use it. And then you've got your local, um, athletics yeah. too, where you see it in the snack shops and stuff like that. And I'm a big advocate of the youth having it more than actually anybody, because yeah. what we start feeding them now is how it's they're going to have taste buds and snack later. So I'm not an expert. I'm not a scientist, but I have read from some really wonderful doctors that, um, plant protein is not digested the same way as animal protein. You would have to have so much animal protein to make maybe even like one strip of one of these packages. Again, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist, but it does make a lot of sense if you think about animal protein. It's just different. It just is. It's so potent. Yes. Um, so it makes a lot of sense for these athletes that are just constantly digging into their protein supply. Right. Yeah. And I mean, just the aminos that you're going to get and what they're getting out of the grass, like you, you're not mm. getting that in the pea proteins mm-hmm. and stuff. So it's different. I mean, I don't. I, I'm a believer in balance and, you know, I, I even tell people and I, even my kids, you're not going to eat a three ounce package. You're not going to, you don't need all that. So you may want to, you may want to, but you're not going to (laughs) because you need to have balance and you need to have other good, you know, good fats and other things too. So, um, so it's not that I'm always against other things, but I do think that having, you know, a good solid protein and, and when you compare jerky to a protein powder too, I mean, you look at all the ingredients. Yeah. And there's so many ingredients. Yeah. And do we know what half of those really are? And kind of I know, from, so. I know. Speaking of balance, I mean, I've had 
all different kinds of people on this podcast to have varied, many varied viewpoints and products and all that, um, which I just love. And I do eat some of the things that have a million ingredients sure. in them, but I do know that, um, I do know, and I kind of know it like in my heart that meat is a very simple and very impactful protein that's going to behave differently in your right. body than, than anything else. Yeah. And I do believe that not all meat is the same. I mean, we mm-hmm. do have yeah. to pay attention to where it's coming from. I, we are very fortunate here to have so much great yeah. meat, um, to find and buy here locally. That's great quality and yeah. supporting locals. So we're very fortunate in that matter. But, um, yeah, just the way our body uses it yeah. to think that it is good. Yeah. yeah. Um, you still running marathons? No more marathons. Why not? <laughs> oh, I just, I, because I our bodies are degrading when yeah. we do it. Yeah. Is that it? I mean, I, I think I just kind of got burned out of running that yeah. far. It was a lot. And I think as with anything, you have to listen to your body. Yes. When we fuel ourselves with food, we have to listen what's working, yeah. what's not running just came to a point where I think I ran my last one when my boys were, um, they were in the strollers. So they would have been mm. maybe about 14, 15 months. Yeah. And I, I think I just slowed down too, because when do you take time to train? I have kids, my priorities shifted and do different things with them. So. I, I ran a lot when my kids were about that age mm-hmm. and I think that I really needed it. I yeah. think that when I had them, I needed to like burn something out. And so I ran, I was running halves, but, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I ran my last half marathon was, um, an hour and 43 minutes, which I'm very proud of because under two, yes, Yes. it was really hard. And I think after that, my body was like, "Mm -mm, no more. Yeah. And I haven't done an event since then. And, um, I actually tried to start running again recently and my feet just won't have it. I mean, we're aging, right? It's just your body at different times responds different ways. But when they were little, I really felt like I needed it. Yeah. I think it helped me through a lot at that time in life because everything changes obviously when, you know, when you've got kids and your time changes and, but to to be able to put them in a stroller and go. Yes. Um, and it was also very, you know, empowering. Like I'm pushing a stroller and I'm running and they're seeing me do this. Yeah. It's a lot of good that comes out of that. That's very true. It was very empowering. Um, your boys are how old now? They're eight years old. Oh, they're twins. I have twin boys. Yes. Oh my gosh. You really (laughs) were pushing them around in a double stroller. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Eight years old. Do they like Catania Brothers? Oh, they love the jerky. Yeah. They love it. They love all of it. Even the candies we have. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. Do you yeah. do the same thing like your parents? Do you treat it like a treat? Um, yeah. I mean, you won't really find it at home. I mean, a little bit. I try to have always a little bit in my pantry so that if I don't have any type of meat or protein for mm-hmm. their lunches um, that's fresh, I can pull from that so they've got meat. Um, but other than that, it's pretty much a treat that they get to have when they yeah. come in. And um, and I, I just think that, it, it. I don't know, I think it just naturally happens, right? You're at work, you're running around trying to get everything yeah. done, then I got to go get them at school. I don't think about stocking up and having it. So, yeah. yeah, I wonder, there's a part of me that wonders if your parents treated it like a treat and you treat it like a treat because you know how much goes into making it. I think there's a, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, like it's not just something that gets whipped up. It's a, it's a time intensive process. Yes. Yeah. I definitely think that has something to be said about it. And 
I just want it to be appreciated too, right? It's yeah. not going to be a snack that they're going to, which they'd finish anyway, but even yeah. not everybody might, you know, their eyes might be better, bigger than their bellies, <laughs> but um, yeah, we don't want any waste out of it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Do you talk to them at all? I know they're young still, but do you talk to them at all about like, hey, maybe someday you'll take over? Um. Well, it's, I think it's come up in conversation when in school or when things happen, like, what do you mm-hmm. want to do when you grow up? And I've got one that really is like, I'm going to take over mom. That's awesome. You know, and the other Yay. one is, uh, I, he's more wants to do other things, but I, I don't know. I think just naturally too, I just, they're there with me. They see it. They go to the events. I, I want them to gravitate to it on their own yeah. and not be pushed to feel like they have to yeah. do it. Um, and uh, we'll see what happens. But yeah. yeah, well, that's a healthy um, outlook on it. But it's yeah. kind of cute and yeah. cool that one of them is like that one I'm of them take over. Yes, and I will say that they have. There has been a moment where um, because it's the brothers, they're like, well, maybe that'd be really cool if we just take it over because we are the brothers, right? Yeah, and I always laugh because that would be kind of funny. That so, would be kind be of a great. Cool thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You've been on the Central Coast. We were talking before we started rolling that you used to live around the corner mm-hmm. from here. You, did you go to Slow High or Mission? I went to Slow High. Okay. Yep, I grew up, yeah. So you've seen the Central Coast and Slow in particular change a lot. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about the ways you've seen it change and, and, and like for better or worse in your opinion. Yeah, I, um, gosh, this is such a, one of those ones I love to talk about. Okay. And I always try to not talk about it being negative, but just trying to hopefully maybe we can you know, learn from what's happened. And I think the biggest thing for me is always too, like, what are we doing for the next generations? Mm -hmm. Um, And I wish my parents were so I could ask them what, how their, their growth when they were here impacted to see, you know, cause, um, but for me, I think there's been so much good growth um, that has brought value to our small town. And especially when you have shops and we have shops downtown too. So Mm -hmm. you get a lot of tourist exposure and, um, people want to come here, which is really great, especially when you've become kind of a landmark. So it's kind of cool to have that. Um, we live in a very beautiful place and I Mm -hmm. think that that's always been preserved, which is amazing. Um, it's a very still small town, although it's gotten bigger. Um, I think there's so much community and love for that. Mm -hmm. You've got all the farmers markets, which are awesome, all the farming and all those things still. So that charm is still there. There has been such an incredible amount of growth that has taken over though. And that's a part that I probably have a really hard time with yeah. just because you see so much change in that regard. So, so many added homes, mm-hmm. um, so many added buildings. And then yet at the same time, you see empty buildings yeah, or that's you, hard. you that's see hard the for me struggle too. of downtown where you know, there's nothing in there because it's mm-hmm. too expensive where you've, we've got the big parking issues going on downtown know, right man, now, which it's is hot. a major hot yeah. topic. And it's a major impact. I mean, people aren't just talking about it because they're mad about the price. It's yeah. truly affecting everybody. It's affecting yeah. the customer and the businesses. Um, and then as a mom now, I see the impact of um, schools. So you've yeah. got all these new homes that have come in and we have pretty much the same amount of schools. Yeah. Um, maybe they've added some, one junior high one, and one junior high. I mean, just buckle up, girl. I have a child there right now and it's, he went from a school of 150 to a school of 800. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I was fortunate. I went, I went mission and then I went 
uh, from Mission First to Eighth, and then I went to Slow High. So mm-hmm. I didn't experience Laguna, but I've heard about it, and I've. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Did. Great school. Those yes. guys are fighting an uphill battle in a lot of ways, and so many really great teachers, and the kids yes. are great. But it's one school. It's just too many. Yeah. It's too impacted. And I think that's the thing that I miss so much about slow back when I was younger is mm-hmm. that it was small and it really was small. Mm-hmm. The classrooms were small. You know, there wasn't all the impact downtown of of traffic because there wasn't places to park and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of really great growth, but I think that infrastructure wise and, and growth as far as schools and I mean all that's going to, you know, be continued to be majorly impacted and, mm-hmm. and frustrated as, as, as we, as it continues. So, yeah. um, and we're seeing major growth on our street on Caudell now too. And I think yes. that's probably, that's probably where I get most frustrated with the buildings also being just huge and mm. they're not taking into consideration the parking, right? So you're talking about the got, stuff across from you guys. Yeah, yeah. So they've come in and developers have come in and they're putting all new, um, you know, like I think it's four, three, four high and, mm-hmm. uh, there's going to be mixed use, but I believe there's, I can't, I mean, there's at least 40 units in there, but where's everybody going to park? And that's what I'm mm-hmm, always saying. Mm-hmm. Where is everybody going to park? Cause you can bring them here, but if there's nowhere to park, eventually people are going to get over that. And so, um, yeah. so that's where I think I see challenge in yeah. the growth, especially the change. And, um, and just, I, I miss some of those stores that were downtown being gone, but I realized that's part of change and getting older too. Like when Beverly's went out, I, oh, it killed I me. just, was, it killed me, you know, and I felt the same way with Law's Hobby Shop back yep. in the day. Where when am I going to get buttons when I need them? Where am I going to get Velcro? They were yeah. just the coolest shops and, yeah. but you know, but I, I'll think about that. And I just took the, my boys down to the Lego shop where laws used to be partly yes, there, right? Yes. And I'm like, well, at least we have this. This is really cool. Like, oh, and they'll remember Lego shop the way you remember laws. Right. You know? It'll exactly. be this positive, wonderful yeah. thing. It is. I really respect you speaking up about that. It's so funny because I kind of intuited like, this woman has things to say. <laughs> um, it's hard to talk about uncomfortable changes without sounding negative. Yeah. It's really tough, but we all deserve the opportunity to talk about... I mean, San Luis Obispo downtown is so much of what makes slow what it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Mission Plaza is our oldest landmark around here, and it's still the heart of the city. Mm-hmm. So, how are we keeping the heart of the city healthy? It's it's a hard topic, um, and I hope it's okay. We've moved in that yeah, direction. Absolutely. Yeah. I think a lot we've had. I'm in the Anholm district. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of talk about this area. Yep. Um, and in the midst of it, for whatever, you know, whatever discomfort there is about change, I try to remember that Mission Plaza used to be, Monterey Street used to go all the way through. Mm-hmm. And the city council and the mayor, city council, decided to close it off to create a pedestrian area. Now nobody talks about that. Right. It's become this, it was a good civic decision. Yes. I just hope that all these decisions we're making end up being good civic decisions. Um, but everybody deserves the chance to talk about it for sure. We love yeah. it. We care about it. Yeah. And I think that's, it's your, if you're passionate about where you live and you care and I think that's okay. And I, I think 
the only time it becomes negative is if you don't want to do anything about it, right? Yeah. If you just want to kind of complain and be negative. But if you want to have good change and you're you're willing to try to come up with solutions or willing to help or or at least post some kind of like, well, what if we did this? Or mm-hmm. um, then at least you're it's not so negative. You're, it is a kind of a negative thing that's maybe happening, but positively, how can we change it right. for the better of our community to stay this way yeah. for our kids if they get to stay here, which for sure. is really cool if they could, you know, if they wanted to or the next generations of anybody. So Yeah, I agree with you. All right. Well, let's talk about what you like to eat. So <laughs> when you, so I'm going to ask you what you would eat on your last day if you were celebrating, but I also want to know like, where do you go for like a nice dinner or for something casual? Where do you head to? Mm-hmm. If you've been here for a long time and you've kind of watched things come and go, everybody has their favorites. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. That's a hard one because I I will say I would prefer to eat home. That's just who I am. Nice. I I would prefer a really great home cooked meal with food from our local. You know, we have such good local produce. Yeah, we do, and I just love that. And um, I feel like because then I get exactly what I want, right? Um, But are uh, you the cook mostly? I mean, I mean, I I'm a single mom, so I am. I am. You are the cook. I am the cook. I do the twins. Do it all. So. So I, yes. And I think that's also why I do, you know, value eating at home a lot too with them because taking kids to a restaurant, there's always not the best options for them. Um, and, uh, and then it's, you know, maybe too much portion size and we're wasting and I don't, I try to really not have waste and, um, but they're really good eaters, which I'm very fortunate for. So when we do go out now, they're usually good about getting something more adult like now. Like it, and it which will is, continue. Which is good. Just, yeah. 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 It's more fun to go out with my kids now than it used to be. It was stressful. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's those ages that are a little harder. But um, I, I mean, I am a steak eater. I love steak. But I also love really good fish. I yeah. love to mix that up. Um, so if I know I can go somewhere and get really good fish. But usually that's something I would buy yeah. and source and then uh, cook at home. And then... Um, but I love a good Italian too. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have so much good Italian. We here. do I a mean, whole array. There's a lot. And yeah. I think sometimes I go places for ambiance too. I mean, I will say that going to Giuseppe's is always fun with friends because yeah. it's right there. It's such a charming building. I grew up going to, um, country classics. Same. Was there. My mom sold things in Did there. Did she? Yeah. That's so cool. See, I, so I almost like love going I there love, for the charm. Of I do too. I it. see the yeah. facade of it and I get like a happy yeah. feeling. And it's a place my boys really love to go cause they feel like it's a fancy restaurant yep. and it's not too fancy of Italian for them. Um, you know, it's consistent. They're always great and wonderful. Yeah. And it feels um, like a party in there all the yeah, time. Yeah. And it's a family business. So again, yeah. it feels great. Um, but there is other great Italians in town, um, that to go to. And, mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, we, again, we don't eat out all that too is awesome. Much. Actually. I um, mean, I love supporting our local restaurants, but I also, I like that you right off the bat, you're like, yeah, no, I actually really love to eat It's at hard. Home. Yeah. I don't, it's to have a favorite. It can be hard because it's kind of depends on who you're with or yeah. when I'm with girlfriends or just go out for fun with groups of people, it always changes because we do, we yeah. want to try, you know, the new thing or where's great ambiance, which we have a lot of that. Yeah. I think we have a yes. lot of great, beautiful buildings that, um, are locally owned and these, um, uh, chefs do a great job. And yeah. so we are very fortunate that for that. So yeah, totally. All yeah. right. Well, let me ask you, so it's your last day on earth and you're celebrating cause if you've just, you feel so proud of all the things that you've done, raised two kids, 
twins, which you get extra points for. Um, <laughs> you've, you know, brought this company along. It's thriving. What do you eat on that day? What do you drink? And who is with you? Yeah, I will. Okay, so I would definitely have a ribeye, a bone and ribeye. Sure. That is what I would have. Yeah. On an oak pit, yeah. by far, I would have that. Um, hmm. And uh, I love vegetables. Like I love mm-hmm. asparagus, Brussels sprouts, all yeah. that. So I would want a bunch of that. Like grilled green oh, things. Oh, just, yes. Yeah. yeah. I love mushrooms. So mm-hmm. just a good grill of vegetables and mixture. Um, and I love salads. So mm-hmm. really good salad with all the local stuff. Um, and I would have bread because because <laughs> you're gonna solve. Yeah. I do. We, we have really great local bread too. So much. There's so much. There's so many great companies. Yeah. That's another thing where I just, I get all excited. We shop a lot at the co-op, so we get to see all yes. the like, local Sponsor stuff. Sponsor of the Consume Podcast. I love, we love it. I know. Um, and, uh, and then we go to farmer's markets too. So between those two, we can grab a lot of great stuff. Yeah. Um, but probably my biggest highlight, I'm not going to lie, of my meal would be my dessert. I'm yes. such a desserty and <laughs> a dessert. I, I just am. <laughs> and I try to be so good about not having it all the time because I know it's not good for you. I know. But again, you got to live. Depends on how you define so, good. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you can make some really good healthy sure. desserts. Yeah. You really can. Um, but I mean, if I'm going to go all out, I'm going to have like a really good piece of either carrot cake or mud pie. Those are like yeah. my two where I'm going to be sick after I eat it. Because... In such a good way. <laughs> I yeah, have never had mud pie. Oh, you haven't? In my life. Oh. And I have a friend who it's her favorite dessert. And someday I'm, I gotta have it sometime. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just, the combination of all the chocolate flavors and yeah. It's real good. Yeah. And ice cream. So and carrot cake. You're not alone on oh, that one with cream cheese yeah. for us. When it's done right. It's yeah. so good. What are you drinking yeah. and who's there? Oh, drinking. Um I would probably have oh, I, I alcohol is one of those things where I enjoy it depending on like the situation. Yes. So and I'm I love wine, but I'm also not like a crazy. So I don't. Uh, I mean, again, I would probably be like preparing myself for dessert. Like I better just you know just save go some slow. space in my stomach yep. for dessert. But I love you know like a good Moscow meal. I love ginger. Love ginger. Yes, so a really same. good one. Or margarita is always yeah an excellent choice too. Yeah, so, I love blended or on the rocks. Um. Oh, on the rocks. Same. Yeah, on the Big rocks. Time. Yeah. 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 All right. And who's there? Who would be there? My boys would mm-hmm. be there. Um, my, I, you know, it's, I, I would have a big group of friends with losing so much family. I have mm-hmm. created such a really great community of friends here, which I'm so grateful yeah. for. Um, and my, you know, the rest of my family, my sisters and uh, their family and uh, my aunts and uncles that are here and mm-hmm. cousins that are here that surround me too. A big so. party. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of my employees would want to come too. I love it. I love <laughs> so, it. Thank you yeah. so much, Caitlin, for yes. coming over and chatting about this wonderful brand that's been around for so long. Yeah. Thank you for having me. That's it for another conversation on the Consumed Podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Sign up for the newsletter at letsgetconsumed.com and follow along on Instagram at consumed.podcast. This podcast is edited by Chris Lambert and produced by me, Jamie Lewis. Until next time, thanks for listening.